Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the November 17th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you by the Security Federal Bank. One of the best ways to support Local Matters is to support Security Federal. They have 17 locations between Columbia County, Georgia, and Columbia, South Carolina, and they would like to see you if you're looking for a new banking relationship, uh, a home loan, a home improvement loan, an auto loan, or investments. Also, the show is brought to you by Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, my management consulting firm. You can learn more about the services that I provide at JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. And there you will also find every episode of the show that I have done. And of course, the next best way to support Local Matters is to tell all of your friends and family about us and to share those episodes. Today, I have done something entirely different. Uh, I have a guest who doesn't have anything to do with local government, nothing to do with state government, politics, how your tax dollars are spent, or even an organization that holds um, elected officials accountable for how they spend your tax dollars. Um, I just thought it was so important to detour because I read a book over the last month, two months, uh, called When the Church Prays. And it was important for me to do this because there are so many of us who, like this author, find themselves in a place of worship that does not nourish us in the way that we should be nourished. And in fact, brings us down more than it brings us up. So I just thought that it was also a good connection with the show because while I focus on government issues, you know that everything that I do is also rooted in my faith. Uh, if you listen to my outro on every show, I quote a Bible verse because I truly do believe in the connection between what we believe and how we believe and everything else that we do, including our choices as it relates to uh, how we are governed. So uh, with that, I want to introduce you to Mrs. and soon-to-be doctor, I believe, Shayla Farmer. Uh, Shayla is a resident of the Augusta area, uh, and uh, she's been here for how long have you been here now, Shayla? Going on 12 years almost 12 years in our area. And um, Shayla, if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself so that our audience can connect to you. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I told you when you first invited me that I do consider it an honor and I really do mean that. So thank you. Um, but just a little professionally, I am a um, certified um, HR professional. 
Um, I've been in HR alone for almost 20 years, started off as a military spouse, so transitioned into HR from finance. Um, you know, currently I work as an HR manager for a local company, and I'm also a small business owner. I have um, a consulting company called Pinpoint Consulting, where I do work with individuals on um, career navigation as well as leadership development. And we'll we'll get a little bit more into that as we talk about the book. Uh, personally, as I said, I'm, I'm I'm a military spouse. I'm a mom. I have two sons. One is a um, sophomore in college and my other, my youngest is a um, high school senior. And um, for 22 years, I was a minister, um, director of missions for a, a, an organization that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. So, which led me to now become an author. All right, wonderful. Um, and also to help our audience connect with you, just want to let folks know um, we've got a couple of things in common from the standpoint of we were both raised in the church. And uh, when I say raised in the church, having to attend church every Sunday, participating <laughs> in Sunday school and all those programs. Um, but I think we also had similar experience in that we started out in Baptist churches where you weren't just showing up on mm -hmm. Sunday. You were expected to live what you learned on Sunday, the other right. six days. You attended college in a city that I lived in for a long time, Johnson C. Smith University, mm -hmm. uh, and you pledged a certain sorority that uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> of course, the only uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> and you earned a, a very special title when you were at Johnson C. Smith. Tell us about that one. Yes, I was Miss Johnson C. Smith 9596. And um, I, I'm still amazed by that. So yeah, that was that was probably one of the highlights of my my tenure at Smith. <laughs> All right. All right. So now tell me this is story, as you mentioned, is about you joining a uh, congregation. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me what attracted you to that congregation? How did you get there? So um, when I was a freshman in at Smith, um, I was 18 years old and I knew the Lord called me into the ministry. And so from that Sunday um, on, I, I knew my trajectory and it was to graduate from Smith, um, go to Morehouse School of Religion at ITC and and eventually get my uh, doctor of divinity and just go on. And, um, but that didn't happen. So um, my fiance at the time joined the Air Force and we received orders to go overseas. And when I left to go overseas, I was lost because this plan that I had, I really felt like I had let God down. And so my, my focus was where can I continue to preach and do ministry? Um, now I'm in a foreign country. Um, I don't have um, 
you know, access to a seminary. This is before we were doing things online. So it was really devastating for me. And so um, my husband, my new husband and I had started looking at different congregations and just seeing where we could fit in. And so I think what really stood out to me um, when I went to this first service was they had female preachers. Not, not a lot of churches were open to women in the pulpit. So I saw that not only were they female, but they were, some were white, some were black. There were some who, um, uh, they looked Asian, but I come to find out they were from um, Suriname, South America. So this organization that we spent the next 22 years of our lives in was an international organization. And that appealed to me. And, you know, being 22 years old, um, far away from home for the first time, um, it, it was important to have some type of, of connection. And because I knew church, I felt like this was the right place for me. All right. And then after 22 years, which is a long time, long time, uh, you and your husband experienced some things that made it obvious that you couldn't stay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say too, uh, one of the things that I've discovered in talking to people as I wrote the book and just looking back over our own experience is that um, you saw things before 22 years hit. Um, we, we saw flags, literally, uh, we started going to the church in October of 96. And we look back to things that happened and we can say, we really should have left by the end of January, 97, that, honestly. But again, it, I think it was that bond. I think for me, it was the fear of, you know, if not this church, then what church? Um, but you see flags and you continue to, to move past those flags. Um, and, and that led to us, you know, spending 22 years literally in a toxic environment. Um, there was some good, you know, as, as there is in, in a lot of situations, but, you know, staying beyond that point that we should have, it really did impact us. It, it impacted our mental psyche, it impacted how we view God going from a healthy, relationship to God to now being one of just literal fear, not fear in the sense of respect and admonition, but literally fear of God. Yeah. Um, you know, and as you talk about that, seeing some red flags and then not acting upon them, mm -hmm. sometimes it does get to be tricky in order to make decisions like that because there are always going to be some things you don't particularly like about right. a congregation. I mean, same thing's true of a house, of a spouse, mm -hmm. of a congregation, of any other organization that you're a member of. Sometimes there are going to be some things that you don't necessarily like. Right. But it's hard to decide, is this enough for me to walk away? You know, it's just kind of hard to draw the line. And I think that's where you all found yourselves. Yeah. And so when you, the interesting thing about um, 
these type of organizations. In the book, I refer to them as high control groups. That is a nice way of saying cult. As, as Black people, we don't like to use that word. But when you look at the characteristics, um, even for pastors today, I, I really do encourage pastors and leaders to look at and to talk to their people and to, you know, take inventory of what the people are saying um, in their own congregations and align them. Just Google characteristics of cults. More often than not, you're going to find a lot of similarities there. So, um, so to your to your point of there's some things that we you we don't like in a, in a lot of situations that is true but the question we have to ask ourselves is if this wasn't the church and we saw these same things on our job or we knew of these same things that happened to our children what would we do and the 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 response is that typically we allow more things to go um, under the radar and um, we let those things go in the, the confines of the church because, you know, this is church, you know, forgiveness and faith and, um, and all of those um, core values and fruits of the spirit that we all have been taught from growing up. You know, if you can't, if the, the world is already against you, right, especially speaking from, um, you know, as, a, as an African-American woman, the world is already against you. You know, you don't want to go to church and then feel like the, the church is against you. So these are all the, the things that I think we as believers, we have to start asking ourselves. And the, the, the answer is that a lot of things that we saw went beyond oh, I didn't like this person's attitude or, you know, mother so-and-so, you know, she doesn't like to give you more than one scoop of mac and cheese, you know, when you're, you're feeding the folks. It's really about what would I say and how would I respond to this or would I allow this to go on if this was on my job? And that's, that was the separation, um, you know, for us and, and, in, in looking back and a lot of a lot of people who I've spoken to who have no affiliation with uh, the organization that I came out, but they have experienced some of the same things that my family did. There is a particular line that caught my attention. There are a lot of lines that caught my attention. Mm -hmm. I've read the book and I tell you, it's, it's a very quick read. Um, I, I think I finished in about day and a half, two days. Mm -hmm. um, there's one line where I just turned the page down um, because it just captivated my attention. It said, Cam, who was your, your baby, mm -hmm. scream and go ballistic whenever the bishop came around. Mm -hmm. Wasn't like this with anybody else. So we didn't understand his behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Cam, uh, who is my oldest son, he's a, a junior in college now. <laughs> he, this is where we we were still overseas, and this is the bishop that I'm talking about is the actual founder 
and presiding bishop of the organization. Um, and so uh, it, it was just weird. I remember we were sitting at, I think the first instance occurred, we were at a, a restaurant on the economy and Cam was just sitting on my lap and he just started screaming and we didn't know what was wrong with him. He started climbing up my shoulder and I sat him down. And so the bishop actually walked from his spot at the head table and walked around. And that's when Cam started going off again. And I mean, we, we, we were just, we were so embarrassed. We didn't know what to do. And I remember our pastor, um, who was also the bishop of the European jurisdiction, he said, oh, don't worry about it. Um, um, when Cam grows up, he's going to be best friends with, with the bishop, with the founding bishop. And so we noticed that as we would go to different um, church events, um, this started happening right before we uh, PCS back to the States. So when we got into this, came back to the States, we will always see the founding presiding bishop more often. And so this thing, same thing happened. So I remember one particular experience, we were in Florida and um, Cam just starts going crazy. I turn around and it's the founding presiding bishop actually making um, like faces and just kind of, you know, taking his hand like a, a, like a lion's claw, you know, and I said, oh, he's doing this to him. But I, I, I was so embarrassed. I was hurt in that instance. And I don't go into this in the book, the founding and presiding bishop's sister, one of his two sisters, both of his sisters are also bishops in the organization, was standing there. And she said that Cam had a demon. And it was the demons that were, um, being frustrated by the bishop's anointing. And so at this time, I had already been in the organization for four going on five years, and I had already been conditioned and groomed to, you know, take the words of these spiritual leaders as Bible. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my baby has a demon. And it wasn't that. It was that my son had a pure intuition. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> and he could recognize. And he demon. recognized, yes. And it took my parents being in a service and seeing um, Cam relate to the bishop that way. Um, it took my parents saying something to me. But again, at that time, my mind had already been conformed to that way of thinking. And even though I knew my parents loved me and, and it, it wasn't that I thought they were lying, just the condition of my mind made me feel like they were against the Bishop. So, yeah. Whoa. That, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So what, when you say that this uh, organ church organization was toxic, Mm -hmm. um it was toxic from the same point that it seems like it kept you from seeing and thinking clearly about some things oh yeah and so this is what we have to understand about these high control religious um organizations or cults 
um, in my mind, cults were the Jim Joneses, right? The, you know, that was extreme. Um, Heaven's Gate, you know, the people who uh, they found all deceased and they were wearing Nikes because they believed the, um, the uh, spaceship was going to come in and, and take them up. Um, ironically, one of the biggest churches, one of the bigger churches that was in our organization is no longer part of the organization. Um, it was in Virginia. The, the name of the church was Heaven's Gate. And when that happened in that particular cult, they had to change the name to Gates of Heaven. So uh, because of the, so they didn't want that association with it. So, you know, in these um, organizations, you are conditioned. And I think this is why it's really important to, to have this discussion with your audience, because you talk about government matters, local matters. But when your mind is conditioned, one of the symptoms and one of the signs of what I, I call um, and, and is referred to as religious trauma syndrome is you, your whole psyche is, is completely off. You are in this world according to the scripture, right? But we're not of this world. But religion can be easily weaponized and in this case it was weaponized and the sayings and the very scriptures that you and i both growing up learning in sunday school and in vacation bible school and the scriptures that bring comfort to so many and healing to so many can be twisted and they are twisted to fit the agenda of the messenger of that pastor of that bishop and so your whole mind is is completely different. You are, it is ingrained in you that you are separate from mainstream, right? Um, you're around like-minded individuals um, who see their way as the only way. And those of your, your acquaintances, your friends, your coworkers, if they don't identify with your beliefs, then they have a form of godliness, again, according to the scripture, but they deny the power thereof. So, you know, this is really important because um, these, these churches are in our communities. They're not just black communities. They're not just, you know, um, mega churches. These can be the little storefront churches. In fact, we started in a storefront church. And, um, and, you know, just over the years, um, you know, it, it just grew. We were Pentecostal. It's a Pentecostal denomination, but it wasn't the Pentecostal that I grew up hearing about. You know, the Pentecostal I grew up hearing about were the, you know, the people tarried at the altar. Um, you know, they, they didn't, the women didn't wear pants. They didn't wear makeup and things of that nature. No, this was not the Pentecostal that I grew up um, knowing about. This was a group of people who on the outside was very similar to the congregation that I grew up in being a Baptist. 
because most of us came out of Baptist. We were just all looking for something else. It was like, there has to be more to this. I didn't grow up, grow up hearing about signs, wonders, and miracles outside of the Bible, right? But I went into this organization and I, and I saw notable miracles. One miracle I put in the book about my son who was supposed to be born with Down syndrome. No one laid hands on him, but the congregation came together and prayed for him. You know, these are, are people that are part of this organization's are tenured professors at big, well-known uh, institution, institutions, not HBCUs, Fulberg colonels, you know, um, high-ranking um, individuals. Um, and I'm, I'm going to stop there and say that this organization grew because of the military. It was, it grew because of the military and it spread the way that it, it, it did spread because of the military. So, um, you know, if you, if, if this is what you're hearing, if this is the doctrine, your faith and your belief system, it controls everything about you and your life and how you see the world. And um, while we were never told that we shouldn't vote, but you did not, um, you, you didn't get heavily involved in the things that were going on in your community because this is not our home and we are on our way to heaven and we are so glad. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, we know a lot of people get involved in uh, churches, other types of houses of faith, mm -hmm. and they wind up with church hurt, a lot of yeah. phrase church hurt, uh, but not all of them wind up writing a book about it. So mm -hmm. tell me why it is that you felt like it was this imperative that you reduced this to writing. Yeah. Um, again, being in a toxic um, and cult-like um, environment, um, and especially when it's it's you know connected to your faith. Um, when I decided to leave, when my family decided, I decided to leave. I was just at that point where my husband could stay, and my oldest son was uh, getting ready to turn eighteen they could stay but i could no longer stay when i left i was done with god i was done the very relationship that um was the foundation of my being i don't know why and i don't know how but some reason god really put a love for him and a love for his people in me at a very young age um, it was something that I, I never hid. I was not ashamed of it. Um, you know, I, I, I said at the, the, the start of this, you know, I was uh, voted Miss Johnson C. Smith University in 95, 96. Um, I did that as a student minister. I had been directing the choir since I was 12. I was the director of the R.W. Johnson Gospel Choir at Johnson C. Smith. So my faith, was was what people knew of me and i was also the freshman class president when i came in so my faith is is what defined me it was who i was and so going through that that piece of where 
picking up the Bible was a trigger for me. Getting down on my knees to pray to the father who had been there for me and had seen me through so much and now it was a trigger. I was just done. You know, growing up in the Baptist church, if you don't know nothing else, you know about tithing. I said, I'm not gonna pay another dime in tithes until God gives me his heart about it. I was so done. And as much as I was done with God in my heart and in my mind, he would not let me go. And it was that love that I experienced and where I found the courage to first, the book started off as a way for me just to get my feelings out. Um, in addition to um, seeing a therapist, I started seeing a therapist um, and before we actually left the organization. And it was a way for me to get my story out. Well, the more I wrote and the more that other people who were a part of the organization started reaching out to me because they heard that the farmers had left the organization. That was huge. Because of the reputation that my family had in the church organization, people uh, started to realize, oh, well, if the farmers left, I made the right decision. There were people who left before we did, but they still were lost in wondering if they made the right decision for themselves because there's a lot of fear associated with that. So for me, it was getting my voice back and then using my story to help other people who felt like they just were done with God and encouraging them that in spite of all of this that happened, it wasn't God. I know we said it was him and I know we um, look to him and all the things that we did, we did unto him. We gave him the glory. We gave him the honor. We gave him the praise. But there is no way in the world that the God that I know, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who I've prayed to, the one who has comforted me when I have been at my lowest, would sign off on the experience that we had. And if we just give him some time, he is able to restore. So it is definitely a story. And um, I felt compelled not to be the voice of these individuals, um, you know, even outside of my organization, but those who have experienced this type of thing, I don't want to be their voice. I want to help them. I want to empower them to find their voice to help someone else. I'm sorry, it's almost time for us to close, but of course, I haven't done my job unless I let you tell our listeners how they can purchase a copy of When the Church Prays, P-R-E-Y-S. Yes, so When the Church Prays, P-R-E-Y-S, and there is a reason that I use that, um, but you can uh, purchase the book from Amazon.com. Uh, when you go on to Amazon.com, um, it's um, there's also an option for you to uh, visit my author's page, which is um, getting set up and you can follow me. Um, there's going to be a blog that's available there. You can also um, message me via LinkedIn. Uh, 
friends and family call me Shayla, but my first name is actually Mikaela, and it's spelled um, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A. It looks like Michael with an A. Um, Mikaela O'Neill Farmer. I'm right on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram at Shay underscore O'Neill Farmer. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for writing this book because I know it takes some courage. I'm sure some of those folks are looking at you now going, I can't believe she did this. Um, but we also know that you were compelled by the spirit. Uh, oh, to yes. Do so, to do so. Yes. Thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.